Well, I think I even got uh, called for a, a penalty at some point this weekend, considering all of the penalties that were called in Serie uh, A this weekend and uh, the penalties that weren't called. Uh, we'll have plenty to talk about on that on this edition of Serie A Sit Down, World Football Index's podcast of Calcio at the highest level. Uh, Frank Crivello here. I'm your host and uh, uh, not necessarily flying solo, but co-host Richard Carmen, who is uh, recording this uh podcast but not participating the poor guy uh, on a long road trip back from uh a uh fan watch uh for uh Schalke in the Bundesliga uh and then uh his baby gets sick so uh there's not a whole lot that he's uh he's he's on fumes and I I do remember those days but uh I like to think that since uh, he traveled so far to watch German football instead of Italian football that the baby getting sick is karma but that's neither here nor there uh but I am not doing this alone uh, I do I do have a guest. Um, he is the co-host of the State of Play pod, contributor for Football Italia, These Footy Times, Gentleman Ultra. Uh, he co-founded AC Milan Brothers. He's featured on The Guardian and AS Roman English. He's appeared many times on Sirius XM FC and is making is earning his second cap with the Serie A sit-down. Uh, we welcome back Matthew Santangelo. Ciao, Matthew. Hey, Frank. Thanks for being back on. Oh, no. Great to have you back. And... Uh, uh, great that you've uh, that you've taken the time. How are, how are things? I'm doing pretty well. Uh, you know, weather's warming up over here in New Jersey, so I'm getting out there more, doing a little bit more running, a little bit more footy, uh, working hard, obviously, but definitely making time for my couch show. Excellent, good stuff. And uh, yeah, uh, here in Wisconsin, uh, here today in, in in the Milwaukee area, 73 degrees, and uh, Wednesday we're going to get snow. Uh, that's uh, that's that's typical of a Wisconsin spring. So uh, uh, we're gonna get the good with the bad here in April, uh, uh, as we seem to do every year. And wouldn't you know it? On Saturday, I put my snowblower away for the season. So and I told my wife, I said, I promise you, the snow's coming if I put this thing away. And lo and behold, we're gonna get some on Wednesday. Maybe not enough to have the snowblower up, but anyway. Um, obviously, the uh, topic du jour, as far as match week 31 is concerned, Matthew, is Milan uh, Juve or Juve Milan in this case, since it was the J. Uh, but I do want to just quick touch on some uh, midweek activity that took place uh, before we get into that. And I most notably want to uh, jump in and talk about um, the uh, incidents that happened out in Cagliari when uh, Cagliari took on Juve, uh, particularly surrounding Moise Ken, uh, who, again, another unfortunate and ugly uh, incident with ultra fans and uh, racial abuse against players. Uh, this this time in the case of Moise Ken, who answered uh, the way we would hope he'd answer, scoring a goal, um, and then uh, uh, ha- you know having a look at the ultras after he scored the goal, having his arms out. So uh, I I applaud him for doing that. But Matthew, this is getting out of hand. Yeah, it's it's really unfortunate. I, I was on two podcasts beforehand uh, before this one, of course. And, uh, you know, we all touched on the same matter. It was obviously mostly Milan-catered podcast, but, uh, you know, racism and dealing with these certain things, you can't just, you know, turn a blind eye to it, right? And uh, it's unfortunate for us, you know, we're obviously in that Calcio space. 
We have a ton of followers on that. We, we write, we talk about it constantly and to kind of be associated with it. It's, a, it's one of those dark, dark days or dark periods, shall I say, because it seems like it's happening way too frequently nowadays. Of course, with Khalidou Koulibaly being one of the players, um, you know, Moise Kendi now here, even years ago, it's Tudi Montari, Kevin Prince Boateng. It seems like it's never ending. It's in 2019. It's really unfortunate that we have to talk about it. But, um, you know, the fact that, uh, that the fact that Bonucci, I just want to touch on this because I, I had a tweet that kind of went semi-viral here. And I found it fascinating how um, English football and really how some of the other leagues deal with racism in terms of, um, you know, supporting the player, supporting the, the person um, when they are put in this situation. Unfortunately, with Raheem Sterling, you, he had. Uh, rival players from other clubs come to his aid, come to his support on social media, like any normal human being would do, right? This is this is more than football. This is a bigger subject than football. Um, and then you have Leonardo Bonucci shortly after the match wrapped up, pretty much going to the media and saying, well, it was 50-50, he provoked the fans. You know, he has to be a little bit more careful with what he's pretty much doing on the field and, and so on and so forth, which I, I found just absolutely disgusting for, for Bonucci to say that, that you're his teammate. You're his international teammate. You play with him for the national team. And for you to be saying that after the fact, and then he tried to kind of backtrack a couple times afterwards, and then he apologized. But when, when, you, when you make so, so light, light of the situation immediately, then you're almost bailing out the ultras, right? You almost feel like you're bailing out those at fault, saying, see, look, the players on, the, on his own team don't even think that, he, you know, that, that, that it was such a big deal. There's a problem with racism in Syria. There's no ifs, ands, or buts about it. Um, and things got to change. It's uh, it. There's Italy's an old world country, and unfortunately, as an old world country, they have some very old world values. Its people has some have some very old world values, and they just haven't gotten with the times. Um, you know, and it's sad. And 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 I think Bonucci's comments, and I think Allegri's comments were shameful. I I tweeted, um. You know, after the incident, the Calgary players, Cranio in particular, and, and, and we're, we're, we're trying to, you know, if I were the Calgary players, I would have stood with Ken in that situation. I mean, if the players really want to address this and if they really care about it and if they want to take a stand against it and if they want to stand for their teammates, then they need to stand with them. Okay, and, and Leonardo Bonucci's comments, Max Allegri's comments are tone deaf. I mean, we... We're not we're not of that we are not of that race, okay. So we don't know we don't know the depths to which something like that could affect us, all right. And uh, you know, but when we're witness to it and we're seeing what it's doing to a human being, because I think before before anyone's a race, they're a human being first and foremost. Um, it's it's just it's 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 sad to see. You know, it's sad to see that it's 2019 and we still have to address these problems. Syria did something about, you know, domestic abuse uh, and, you know, in, in general, domestic abuse towards women. And they had a campaign for that. They've done nothing like a culture has done nothing um, in terms of trying to do anything to combat racism. If they've done anything, they've done very little um, compared to what other leagues around the world have done, compared to what UEFA has done, compared to what FIFA has done. And uh, it's time that people step up and start doing something. And if they can't step up and start doing something, then let's have some leaders here in Italian football that are going to do something about it. All right. That yeah. shows that, hey, we are we have a new we have a new world. We have a new culture. This is a place where 
all creeds, all cultures are welcome to come and play football and are not going to be harassed for who they are or for what they're made up of, you know. And quite frankly, I'm getting sick of seeing it, and I'm getting sick of the response or lack of response from. I mean, the, the, the I mean, what are you doing? What what message are you sending when you ban the inter ultras for two games for the incidents against Koulibaly? And then there's allegations of racism against Cassie and the Derby, and hardly anything done about it, you know. And now I don't. You know, I was too disgusted to even learn if there was anything sanctioned against Cagliari here or not. Uh, did we get any fallout on that, or have they done anything yet? Um, I don't think anything. I think maybe it's, it's probably still being reviewed because I think, you know, again, Italy and Syria, they're so like late with certain things. I'm actually still kind of stunned that they were one of the first to get to VAR. But um, that's beside the point, obviously, with um, you know getting back to the main subject, your main topic at hand, of course, being is, is racism in Syria. You know, it's... At some point, right, these these 10, 10 million, 10, not 10 million, 10,000 euro fines for clubs and stadium bans, it's not enough because it doesn't equate, right? You know, the crime, the, the crime, the punishment doesn't fit the crime. And for me, I, I talked about, you know, what someone asked me, well, what would you do? Like, what would your, what would be your steps to combat this, to prevent this, or maybe, you know, have those people think twice about, you know, going that route, you know, racial chants and all that stuff. And make it hurt make it hurt on the bottom line you know we've seen teams time and time again in Syria get docked points for uh you know match fixing or scandals like that how about you dock how do you dock points for multiple offenders if you have a team at Cagliari for instance who um you did this whole situation here with Moise Kane let's say the second time around you dock them more money and maybe uh, a stadium ban for multiple games and then if it happens a third time then you dock them points or maybe you hit their bottom line I think until something like that happens and you're really not going to see much change with some of these clubs, I think what we've seen with, you know, some of the initiatives that some of these clubs have taken with these, you know, quite frankly, these stupid hashtags, it's not enough. That's just, it's just the fact that matters. It's not enough. A hashtag is just not enough for people to say, okay, well, I'm going to stop you know being caught up in my, my, my bad and evil ways. There's got to be more to this. And I think unfortunately it's going, what, it, what, what, what it may take for the rest of the world and UEFA, FIFA, um, and even Serie A uh, to wake up is for it to happen in a big, big match with a lot more eyes on it. You know, a lot maybe more uh, maybe American eyes on it where it really starts to hit them. You know, we, we've, we've talked about it with even, you know, outside of Italy. Danny Rose, who came out and pretty much said, you know, I can't wait to pretty much leave football because of the racial abuse that players like me and others deal with uh, so often. And look, I don't, for me, I, I think there's the racist, racist people are always going to exist. I don't think you're going to be completely eradicate that. Um, so, but, but I think the, the fact of the matter is the league is just not doing enough in terms of the punishment, in terms of the treating it more of like a severe problem. Um, and, and when you continuously just kind of slap, give people a slap on the wrist or uh, have the owner of Cagliari pretty much say, well, you know, I, I didn't see much of it. You know, he provoked it. He kind of just doubled down on what Bonucci was saying, first and foremost. And that just can't be that just can't be acceptable uh, in, in 2019. So I'm hoping things change. And look, I don't have a big audience. You know, I know I'm interested in the grand scheme of things. You don't have a big audience either. But if we can keep talking about it and we're continuously bringing shedding light on it, I, I think that that we can only help in trying to improve the uh, the situation. Well, you have a bigger audience than we do. That's why we have you on. <laughs> trying to get some of your, trying to get some of your peop, some of your followers over to 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 give us a little more of a listen. So, I mean, you know, anything you, I can do to help. You're a, you're a brand name when it comes to this English speaking Calcio stuff. Now you've gotten there. Um, but hey, uh, 
you know, some of the ideas, I mean, the only one that I have a hard time with is the docking of the points um, because you and, and, and I walk on eggshells when I say this, but you open up a whole can of worms now. You know, you got players that you, you got fans that could, you know, travel and can and can dress in as, you know, dress for the home team and dress in the home ultra section and sit in the home ultra section and provoke the racism. Now you get, you got, you, you know, conspiracy theories left and right that could possibly happen that are underlying to get another team. I think, I think one idea that you could do, um, I mean, a lot of these teams depend on, depend on revenue, depend on revenue from tickets, depend on revenue from home games, um, figure out a way to take away uh, a handful of home games then. All right. Figure out a way to take away, you know, okay, this incident happened, especially someone like Calgary, where that's this, you know, Sardinia is a, a bit of a home field advantage for them. You know, all right, your next three home games are actually going to be away games and then work with the opposing teams from those games. Okay, logistically, when can we schedule this and when can we, you know, when can we have it? Because if you can't have it on the actual match week, let's find a date to do it. You know, how hard can that be? And believe me, you'll hit the local economy in Sardinia and in Cagliari where it hurts and fans will think twice, you know, and then, and then it comes down to the individual fan. I think that's the other thing they need to be the the ones that are provoking this and the ones that are causing this need to be singled out uh, and they need to be banned from games. Simple as that. Um, They need to be investigated and they need to be banned from games or whether it's, you know, uh, you know, a handful of games up to a season law to a season to a lifetime ban, depending on the severity of the incidents. I mean, it's done with, violent acts it's done with a, a number of other things why can't it be done here so those would be a couple of ideas that i would have uh you know to try to help combat this um you know you're right you're not going to totally eliminate it but you'll you'll definitely reduce things and if you do if you do you know suggest some stiffer punishments and some stiffer penalties then it's you're definitely going to get people's attention and people are going to think twice before you know acting uh, you know, the way that they do. And it's just it, the comments from Bonucci, the comments from Allegri, the comments from Caliadi's owner, all shameful, just all absolutely shameful. And like I said, you know, the, they are of they are of a race that can't identify with being victimized by those kinds of insults, those kinds of incidents. And, you know, it's I just I just can't accept anything that people like Allegri Bonucci um, you know, or, or or anyone like that are going to say. Well, David, you, know? you you mean if you you if you recall, it's not even again. Wait, no, we're, we're this is a a Calcio slash Syria slash Italy you know centric podcast, right? But it, it it's still a problem around the entire world. We're seeing it in England. I think we're seeing it in France. Maybe maybe not as more as, as often, but you know, we even had that situation a couple, but a couple. Uh, Halloween's ago, right, where Antoine Griezmann dressed up as someone in the Globetrotters and had a blackface. And they don't, it's, it's, I don't know if they're, if they're, they're, it's surely out of touch, right? That, that's, that's for damn sure. Uh, maybe they don't know what, what they're, what they're doing and what, how, what the effect it could have. But again, it just goes to show you how, uh, some people are just, very uh, insensitive to to what's going on, and they don't think, oh, I, well, I didn't think that was going to have an effect. Or it, it just goes to show you that you know we're maybe not so far beyond of uh, the the racial uh, tension that we used to have years and years ago. Uh, that it's still prevalent, it still exists, it's still persisting around around the world. And you know, again, as the, as us being uh, you know football guys, 
you know, we're talking about it in our sport that we love so much. And uh, you, you, you made a great point with it. You know, this, this sport is the beautiful game. It's welcome to everyone across the world. Uh, no matter your race, no matter your gender, no matter your creed, anything, you're welcome for this game. And that's what makes it so special. And for this to be happening, it's just things got to change. We, we, we can't be uh, you know, having this conversation um, as much as I think, you know, we have to keep talking about it. Because, again, if we keep speaking about it, uh, we can't just we're not doing we're doing a disservice for those who are affected by it. If we just kind of gloss right over it, sweep it under the rug and move on to the games. Right. Um, the more we talk about it, the hope I, more that brings more uh, awareness to it. And people start to kind of understand why um, why it's occurring and what we can do to prevent it from uh, occurring even more. It's the problem here is, is, I mean, and the biggest problem, and I think until I think a lot of things are going to be helped down the road and we are a long, long way away. We've, 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 we've come a long way. I think we've come a long way, but we've still got a long, long way to go. And I think what will help that is right now you have, People in leadership positions that when these issues come up, they prefer to just put their head in the sand and hope the problem goes away. You know, Max Allegri wants to worry about football and he wants to worry about tactics and he wants to worry about preparing his team. He's, you know, it's almost like he's bothered by having to answer questions like this. You know, um, I mean, it's it's a very easy comparison. I mean, look at the scandals that happened around, you know, in college athletics here in the United States over the last, you know, 15 to 20 years, you know, Penn State. Uh, and Baylor, uh, you know, maybe being the two most glaring examples. And what do those ho- head coaches do? They just hope they could kick the can and, and not, you know, or kick the problem upstairs to the uh, to the presidents and to the leaders and not have to worry about it. It's why uh, Urban Meyer got in trouble at Ohio State with an abusive assistant coach. He thought the best course of action was to just kick it up to other people instead of addressing the problem himself. That's not acceptable anymore. Um, and. I think we're in a spot here right now when we're dealing with ethical issues like racism that our leaders of the sport need to take a better stand than they're taking, especially on the peninsula in Italy. It's it's unacceptable, um, and it may not change to everybody's satisfaction unless we get change in leadership. It's just it's it's one of those things that unfortunately it stinks. I think we can all exercise common sense and understand what's right and what's wrong out there, but unfortunately we've got some, as I said. Uh, leaders that are old school, that have old world values and, and, and would rather wish the problem away than confront it and do something about it to everybody's satisfaction. 100%. Couldn't agree more. Absolutely. So, let, well, let's talk about the Calcio now. So now that we've gotten that off our chest um, and we'll go to, you know, we'll go to the, uh, the main event of match week 31, Matthew, it was uh, uh, Juventus hosting Milan. Um, a, uh, a, a game that, uh, you know, a lot of meaning here because Juventus wins and Napoli loses. Juventus formally wraps up the Scudetto, even though we've we've said this has been wrapped up for a long, long time. Milan, right in the thick of a um, a uh, battle for fourth place right now, and and you said you said on Twitter the other day exactly what I was thinking was uh, welcome to uh, Serie A and welcome for the battle for fourth place, the position that nobody wants. I'm paraphrasing what you said, mm-hmm. but uh, it's it's seeming to be more and more that way at this point. Um, but uh, at the J Stadium, and let's uh, let's talk the lineups that came out. Um, it was uh, Chesney and Goal, uh, Rugani, Bonucci, Alexandro. Uh, and then it was uh, Decilio as a wing back. It was kind of funny because when the first lineups came out, it was a back three with Mattia Decilio as a center back and as a Milan fan. I said, 
please let this be true. <laughs> please, <laughs> please, please let this be true. <laughs> Piontek's going to eat him alive. Um, but that's not what that's not what happened there. Uh, Decilio, uh and then the midfield of Bentancur, Chan, and uh, Bernardeschi, who I think probably worked in front of them a little bit more, even though they have the three of them to the side. Spinazzola was the left wing back, and then Dybala and Mandzukic in attack. And you know, look at the, the look at this lineup, Matthew. It was pretty clear. Uh, it was it was pretty clear when uh, Allegri released this lineup that it's Operation Champions League, and uh, maybe this lineup is just good enough to beat Milan. Yeah, um, you know, when I, when I was looking at this game, you know, it, it was I, I, my expectations for it really, really weren't that high. Uh, you know, just for the simple fact that uh, even with Juve, you kind of having more of their sights and focus set on this Ajax game in the Champions League that we're going to talk about. Um, they're still they have so much depth, they have so much quality and numbers that you you know compound that with Milan's form at that moment in time. Yeah, you, know, you like Juve's chances. I thought Juve were going to win two zero. Um, they won two one, of course, but. Um, yeah, there were some things that were good about the Milan performance. I think Gattuso did, did a pretty good job this time around. I, I, I kind of anticipated this, or not at least expected a little bit of a, a better performance, just for the simple fact that I think we always, and I talk we because I'm a Milan fan, if you're, you know, surprise, surprise, right? Sure. Um, it, you know, I, I, we always seem to play better against you know, the bigger clubs. I feel like we always show up a little bit more, which is kind of unfortunate that we have to, you know, uh, you know, kind of, you know, creep on by barely past uh, certain clubs and even tie Udinese. And then, yeah, you go into a game like Juve and all of a sudden you kind of play your best football in recent weeks. But um, yeah, this was one of those performances I was looking at. I was kind of hoping just to get a good, more uh, well-rounded performance, more complete performance to take into this next stretch of games, which is difficult. Um, obviously, with you know, in a couple weeks, we have May coming up, which is going to be a very crucial month. There's a little bit of a lighter schedule for Milan. So I was just hoping to see a good performance overall. And I, there were some good things to take from it. But of course, you know, I know we talked about it um, uh, uh, ad nauseum on Twitter in the aftermath is just the refereeing decisions and all that stuff tend to always cloud these big games. And it's uh, it's very unfortunate because, uh, again, I think Milan did some things that were pretty solid in this one. Obviously, they had some individual errors from Musacchio uh, and Calabria that kind of cost them. But, um, you know, Pionte got a goal. There were some you know, positive performances all around that you can be at least a little bit happy with moving into the, game, the upcoming games. But, yeah, one of those performances, it's just like you see we're that close, you know, and all of a sudden just a goal by Moise Kane, a great talent. He's having such a great run of form that you're almost like this kid is on fire. He can't be contained. When he came on, I was like, oh, boy, here we go. But, yeah, yeah, another another, another defeat to Juve. <laughs> sure, sure. And we'll, we'll get into the meat of that. Um, you know, for Milan, uh, Reina and goal with uh, Donnarumma out injured. Uh, back for Calabria, Musacchio, Romagnoli, and Rodriguez. Uh, nothing really surprising there. Um, Cassie Bacchioco, Chalhanolu. Uh, and then Suzo, Piontek, and then it was Fabio Berini occupying the left side. And I tweeted out before kickoff, Fabio Berini uh, starting because why not? Milan's wing play uh, over the last several weeks has been pretty much dreadful. So at this point, uh, you throw your hands in the air and you give this you give this kid a try and hope for the best. That's pretty much the – I don't think it was a start by default. I think it was a start of, hey, we, we need to try something. Need to try Milan something needs to try else, something. Yeah. 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 I I I I thought what what helped Milan quite a bit in this, and uh, maybe you know maybe I'm kind of uh, you know extending here a little, reaching here a little bit, but having Pepe Reina in the back, um, I believe helped Milan a little bit from building up. Uh, that was kind of come under uh, come under fire with Donnarumma in recent weeks. Of course, he had that mistake against Sampdoria where he passed it pretty much right to Defrel and 
it looked like a FIFA goal. Um, the, <laughs> Pepe Reina, who has been who has been at the heart of, uh, of uh, Maurizio Sarri's Napoli those past couple of years in the in, in net, um, obviously he played a big key role in what they were trying to do in building out the back. So I think having him, uh, kind of at times you can see he was barking out orders. This was one of his first, I think, I believe this was his first start in the league. I think most of the games actually started, yeah. came in the, I think, the Europa League or Copa Italia. But yep. uh, what a way what a way to start. You get your first league start, right, on the road against Juve in a really big match. And, you know, you can see that he had made some very key saves. I think he had a little bit more of a calming presence in the back, again, with his footwork. It's a, being a little more polished. He has that veteran presence. Um, so when you work that ball back to him, you can kind of swing the ball around and you kind of have that other outlet to play to. But, um yeah, it, it's overall, I think the lineup, you great, you made some great points. You know, with Barini, it's like, why not, right? You know, you have Paqueta injured. Uh, Chalhanoglu has been hit or miss. Uh, Suso has been up and down. He's had some spells where it looks like he's going to break out and you start scoring goals and you start packing on those assists again. But I, I thought Barini had some pretty decent you know, decent runs of play, you know, at, at certain points in the game. You know, he made uh, Mati Dishio look pretty foolish at times and had a couple decent chances um, to make some things happen. So uh, if you're Gattuso, right, you know, he's pretty much stretched his entire roster to the point where he's using pretty much everybody, uh, bar Montalivo, of course, because obviously he clearly has an agenda against him. Yep. <laughs> Well, every I, I have an agenda against Montalivo. I had an agenda against Montalivo ever since he signed for Milan. So, um, uh, when you look at the first half, Milan in control of this game, and and they did they definitely had the better chances in the first half. Uh, uh, they had more of the possession, which I think that that's what Allegri's mindset was going in. I'm putting out an, he was he pretty much putting out an eleven that is just going to defend, is going to let Milan have the ball, maybe hit them on the break. Even though when you when you look at Juve going forward, you know, and and you see these tactics, you see these tactics working a lot better when you have somebody like a Juan Cuadrado sprinting down the right-hand side. Uh, you have, you know, certainly Dybala at the center of it, and I get where it's worked in the past. Um, you know, and you have you have Mandzukic as a point, uh, you know, of reference to play out to. Um, but I, I, I didn't feel like that Juve were going to be terribly effective countering uh, with what they had available, I just Dybala is not in the form that he was in two years ago. Um, yeah, he, he scored, uh, he scored the penalty in this game, uh, but it was um, it was an interesting uh, set of tactics that Allegri went decided to go with. But obviously, the most noteworthy incident of the first half was uh, uh, the, the the cross that came into the penalty area. Alexandro sliding, has his arm up, the ball strikes his arm, and uh, we are subjected to about a three minute review. Um, of you know of this incident, um, Michael Fabri, the uh, referee, uh, chooses to go to VAR, has a look at it. Initially, didn't give a penalty, and then after three minutes of conversing with VAR, reviewing the video, uh, still doesn't give a penalty. And here's here's what's here's here's the thing, Matt. I'm I'm I've just all of a sudden, and and it's a shame, and it's really sad, and it's 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 probably an indictment against Calcio and Serie A. I have gotten dispassionate about these decisions a lot of Milan Twitter and Milan fans were riled up and rightfully so but I had no expectation that Milan were going to get awarded a penalty um, after the VAR review because look who Milan are playing and this has happened way too many times and it has happened again Uh, a penalty that should have been given isn't given because it's involving Juventus yeah right you know it's it's it look for me, I, I try to remain as impartial and unbiased as I possibly can in certain matters. But when you look at certain like a match like this, 
and you see that Milan is close and that there's points to be had for Milan, and you see, you know, three, four incidents. I, I, the penalties, it's a weird thing because I think it's, we've seen penalties go one way or the other the entire season. You know, I could even touch, I even talk about the Fiorentina intermatch, if you recall, I think a month, a month and a half ago, where uh, Inter, yeah. uh, Fiorentina got a late penalty on a handball that I didn't think was a handball against Inter right, at all. Right. Of course, they get the, hand, the, the handball call. I think Veritao scores the penalty, and Milan fans are, are happy, right? You know, the, the Inter drop points, Milan take advantage of it. But when you really look at it, you can't just be, well, uh, I, I'm going to be uh, and, and upset and, and, and throw a fit when it's uh, against my team, but when it happens in benefiting my team and it shafts the other shafts is probably the word, uh, probably think of a better word for shafts, but in this case, it's probably fitting shafts the opponent to my team's benefit. And you're like, Oh, hey, well, we're kind of owed one. It's like the whole league really is really, you know, having an issue with this. And, you know, look, at some point it's going to have a, it's a really, really big effect on, uh, you know, where teams are positioned, right? We're seeing it now have an effect on the race for top four and even some of the Europa League spots. But, you know, what if you have a team that's you know, on the brink of being, you know, uh, above relegation waters and then all of a sudden this happens and now they're they're being relegated on final match day? Like, this has to be sorted out. The yeah. fact that this is constantly a problem in, in, in Italian officiating is a real issue. And when I look at these some of the other incidents throughout this match, aside from this the penalty that you touched upon, you know, the fact that Bonucci stomps on Piontek, there's no yellow, but Chalhanu, who gets a yellow card for I, kind of just running by, I think, Bernadeschi. <laughs> it's like, it's like, what, what's a yellow card? What's a, what's a penalty? What's, what's a handball? There's, there, it's, there's, it's so up in the air that you're almost like flipping through a rule book and you're just kind of saying, I guess that's a penalty, but just go with that. Even with VAR, it's taking an incredibly long time. Yeah, when I was watching the game a couple of days ago, I'm thinking, why is it taking two to three minutes for them to think about going to VAR? And then another minute or two to actually make a final decision. It can't be. It can't be that long. That's just way too long of a process. If you're going to think that long about a decision, chances are that you don't see enough of in it. Or if, conversely, if you look long enough, there's a good chance you'll find something to make a call and something that will have an effect on you and the initial decision. So, uh, look, I, I, I'm not saying VAR is perfect or ever was perfect or that it's not helping football. Because I think it is. I think more times than not, it does tend to get the calls right one way or the other. But in certain matches like this, you can see the officiating was just – they handled it very poorly. Uh, VAR is it's a step in the right direction at this point. But I think it's just the interpretation of these incidents are wildly inconsistent because Lazio were, were awarded a penalty, uh, you know, and we'll get to that game against Sassuolo – pretty much the incident's strikingly similar. Um, cross ball in, strikes the defender on the arm, uh, the arm's out, and the referee gave a penalty, didn't even bother going to VA. Well, I think they they chatted a little bit, and I think he did go to VAR have a look at it, but he confirmed it was a penalty, so completely different from the incident involving Alexandro. Um, and that, that incident, the penalty's awarded. So I think we have a problem with, degrees of consistency here i mean and this is not the only time that this has happened uh richard and i went nuts through the napoli juve game earlier in the season where merit is sent off uh for his incident with cristiano ronaldo but just a couple weeks before that chesney brings down juricic in the box against Sassuolo, and not even a penalty um not even a whistle nothing not even a var review so um these are problems you know and 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 Juventini are going to continue to be in denial and they're going to tell us to go go cry somewhere or all this other stuff. Well, you know, 
I actually have a conscience. I ha- I actually have a conscience. I hate win- I would hate I would hate winning like that in in certain cases um, because you know what do I? You, <laughs> my kid's a Juventus fan and I have to refrain from talking about those things with them because I don't want to upset them. And it goes crazy too is that you know look what happened in the in the Champions League a couple of years ago was it last year right I maybe I think it was last year I'm probably getting probably losing my memory here but the whole uh, Lucas Vasquez Medi Benatia how they were like oh Real Madrid's paying the referees it's so corrupt it's all fixed yeah. it's 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 all fun and games when you can say it about one fan base right but when the shoe's on the other foot and you're feeling it and you're directly affected by it. Now, all of a sudden, how does it feel, right? So, right. Uh, you know, that's, that's getting back to my point, right? You can't be for getting the call right uh, when only when it's convenient for your team or it benefits your team. You have to be for getting the, the correct calls made. For me, you could even apply to what happened with the, the Saints and the Rams, right? We're talking about American football. Uh, the fact that the Rams you know, had to win, they won that way when the Saints clearly were robbed of a, of a pass interference call. Like, just get the call right. You have all the technology in the world around you to make the right decision. It's not only the fact that you're preventing a team from getting to the championship game, but there's a lot of money at stake, and that thing can same that that logic can same uh, compl- apply the same in calcio and football. You know, if this happened, if this was to happen in, um, you know, the Champions League, for instance, obviously with the round of 16, that's where VAR, VAR first came to came into play, and we saw it happen with PSG at PSG Manchester United with the handball. I was watching that. I didn't think there was anything there. All of a sudden, a penalty comes. It gets called. Rashford buries it, and in a matter of in an instant, PSG are out. So, like you, they, the officiating, they have to be careful here. You have the technology. Right. In in certain cases, like you got to make sure you get it right, and that's something that I think at the top has to be taken care of with the league committees, with the officiating committees, um, and and kind of making a little bit more clear uh, and a little bit more streamlined, and having that offici- officiating um, in unison, where it's all the rules and all the judgments are going to be uh, across the board for all the officials because it seems as though that when we look at so who is officiating certain games we're like oh it's that guy again right i guarantee the next time that a milan uh, have a match and they see fabry as the the the, the main official they're going to be okay here we go again right this guy's probably going to screw us over so sure. uh, it's it's at a point where you know this football is the one probably the one sport now where you look to see who the officials officials are and you kind of have a, a negative or positive impact about how the game can can play out yeah and, it, and it's a shame I mean, it, it was a penalty. It should have been given, and we're not just saying that because we support Milan, but that's that that's been called a penalty in in plenty of other instances. You know, I I just didn't get as riled up as the rest of Milan Twitter. I just I just sighed and I said yeah. I just sighed and I said, yeah, that's happening again. What else is new? <laughs> so, but uh, Milan dusted themselves off and got up and actually got the lead. A good period of uh, of pressing ended up leading to uh, Christoph Piantek. Uh, being played in by uh, Bakioko uh, to give Milan a 1-0 lead. And, I mean, when you look at that first half, Matt, uh, Milan deserved to be ahead. Oh, yeah. They um, they definitely pressed well. They they kind of recuperated after that, not, obviously not having that call, but they were uh, they were rewarded for their effort. They're pressing, they're high, they're pressing high up the pitch to uh, force Juve into a difficult spot. And, of course, uh, I, I, was, I was extra glad that Bonucci was the one at fault for the mistake that lifted the goal. Uh, and of course, you obviously have Piontek getting uh, my boy Piontek getting the uh, 21st goal of the season to put Milan ahead. That was uh, a, a big shift in the match and the momentum for Milan heading into the into the break. I, I still I, I still suggest that psychiatrists should have a look at your uh, your Twitter feed at, at a very minimum <laughs> to see your infatuation with Christoph Piontek. I know that your I know those are, those are your Polish roots coming out. So uh, 
<laughs> you just know, keep like, telling yeah, him. I said, yeah. you guys can make a lot of money off of this kid. Just get, you know, just read his tweets and, and write a book. So. <laughs> yeah, just, yeah, I'm all open for interviews if anyone needs. Oh, <laughs> uh, my, I... Gosh, I think that that's uh, that's how I was with uh, that's how I was with Baggio when I was a kid. So, uh, and 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 he didn't play till Milan until after he was washed up. So, um, or just about. Uh, but anyway, uh, uh, here's the the problem here, um, and uh, where uh, you know where the game changed. The game changed. Well, first of all, the game changed on the penalty uh, in the second half that was awarded. Um, DiBala. A nice bit of skill to turn uh, and get on goal, and Musacchio comes in and kind of clanks into him, and uh, referee awards a penalty. I, I at the time when I looked at it, I said it, it's a penalty. I think it's a little, it's a little clumsy on Musacchio's part. Um, it's in a, it's in an area where he doesn't necessarily have to put in that kind of a challenge. It's one of those where the most Dybala is going to do from that angle is cut it back. And if he cuts it back, Musaki is going to block it. So that's where I had a problem with Musaki even offering any kind of challenge at all. I know that there's some conspiracy theorists that are out there that suggest that Dybala put his foot in the direction of Musaki so that he could get fouled. Um, what did you make of that incident? I watched it the, the, I, at the first glance. I thought it was a clear cut penalty. I thought yeah, uh, Musaki came in a little bit too aggressive. He always seems to come in like a bull in a China shop in certain challenges. Where it's like, whereas you look at Romagnoli, he seems a little bit more composed, a little bit more calculated with his challenging. Um, but Musacchio, you could see, he was kind of trying to make up that ground. And, uh, you know, it, depending on what, you have to look at the entire play. You can't just look at like a three or four second clip. Of, because I people were telling me, look, you know, Dybala went, he initiated the contact. And uh, it looked as though that both players kind of stuck their leg out. Whereas obviously Musaki was going across the ball to try to see if he can kind of nudge the ball away and you know you kick it out for a corner. But you know there's also the part of where from an attacker standpoint where you know any type of contact you can take that will be enough for you to get that penalty. You're going to do it. For me, I didn't think that Musaki needed to go in um, into that sort of challenge work because he kind of kicked and then he went down. Whereas I think if he just stayed on his feet and kind of tracked Dubala the entire way. To your point. You know, maybe cut half force him to cut back in. He would be in a really good position, and the official would have to. You know, they would. He, he, there, it would be nothing there for a penalty. But when you see, you know, a guy like Dybala, who is smaller than Musakio, uh, Musakio is in. It was in a pretty decent position. I don't think he was chasing him down per se, but you know, he obviously was trying to make up some ground. And you can see that you know he had the angle more or less cut cut out. He just really just should have just stayed on his feet. You know, covered his space, stood his ground, and I think that Milan would have avoided the penalty there, but. Uh, it's tough for me to say yeah, that's more for the officials to make that decision on it. I, I think it could have went either way. We've seen, again, those penalties go either way with certain contact. If, if there's an, if there's a little bit of contact, it's really up to that player to make that, to kind of sell it. We see it in every other sport. Um, there definitely was contact there for sure. Whether or not Dybala initiated it and drew it that way, uh, that's another thing. You have to really look at it a couple more times. But uh, I, for me, at first glance, and still looking at it, I think that there was enough in that to be a penalty. But yeah. I wouldn't have been surprised if they waved it off just for the simple fact that, again, the match was very chippy. There were I talked about the Bonucci stomp on um, Piontek. I talked about a lot of the other kind of headbutting you know, between Roman Yoli and Mandzukic. There were a lot of incidents like that. Castellejo yanked down. There were it looked as though the referee really wanted to let the players play and let them yeah. decide the game versus the officiating. 
Um, so it, I, it could have went either way, but I'm really not so much focused on that. I'm focused on more of the other incidents where, you know, Bonucci wasn't given a yellow card, where Casaleo was just, just clearly yanked down. Yeah. Um, and then you could even talk about it from a Juve standpoint, because we can't you know, disregard that, where I think Romagnoli or Musaki went down the box pretty, pretty softly. Uh, Mosey Kane buried the chance, but it was called off. Like, it looked as though there was a makeup calls every every other time, right? And that's that's just not the way I like to watch football. I like to have the calls be made the right the first time, so you don't have to have those makeup calls. But then it, because then it just creates more controversy. For sure. Um, and you know, coming back to the in, coming back to the penalty incident, the what uh, what motivated Fabri to give the penalty? As I said, I I think Musacchio is over aggressive there. Um, and uh, in in a spot where, you know, there's no there's no shooting angle for DiBala, you know, it would have to be an absolute howler from Reyna if if DiBala shot from there, and if it's if he tries to cross anything, like I said, you know, Muzaki was there to tackle it away. I think he got, I think he overdid it there, and I think it was a shame because I think it was the beginning of a down. It was it was it was the beginning of a downturn for Musacchio because I thought he was outstanding up until that incident. Um, especially in dealing with Mario Mandzukic and in dealing with Mandzukic's physicality. That's why you have a defender like Musacchio back there. Um, you know, so I, I, it was the beginning of what would be a, just a downhill performance for the Argentine the rest of the way. Uh, Dybala puts away the penalty, and then at that point, um, this is the other area where Juventus are just better than Milan. I mean, Allegri can turn to his bench, and he can bring in Mirlan Pjanic. He can bring in Moise Kahn. Uh Milan are bringing in... Samu Castillejo, and they're bringing in, you know, Patrick Cutrone, who's great against little teams. I mean, and, and I'm trying to be, I'm not being disrespectful to Inter. He did score on Inter in the in the Copa last year, but you know, has he? There's not a whole lot. Of, there's not a whole lot he's scored of goals that he scored in in big moments and in big games like this. Yeah, of course, he also has not gotten, you know, near enough opportunities to prove that he can. Um, but I mean. When you weigh it up and you take a look at the substitutions that happened between minute 60 and minute 84, where the winning goal occurred, you know Mirlan Pjanic and Moise Ken versus Castellejo and Cutrone, I'm going to take Pjanic and Ken 10 times out of 10. 100%. You know, and I talked about their depth in numbers that they are one of the few teams that has you know two very solid squads. Right, they have their first 11 and then they have. Uh, names off the bench that could instantly make an impact for many times this year. They've even had Dybala come off the bench, a player who, um, you know, maybe his value has kind of, you know, dropped a little bit, you know, since his past, his first couple of seasons at Juve, but nevertheless, a very talented player, a player who can influence a game, uh, whether it be for a full 90, whether it be for 15, whether it be for 20. So the fact that they were able to bring on, uh, you know, bring off a Gale Pjanic and then a guy like Mozi Kane who's on fire for with club and country, despite not playing, um, a ton of minutes. I think he has maybe eight, eight or nine goals in a 495 minutes, which is insane. So uh, it just goes to show you that again, the Juve have that bounce, they have that uh, that depth that you know in certain matches like this, you can kind of give the opponent a different look, a different profile to have to you know, be respective of. And uh, sure enough, you know Moise Kane is the one that decides it for for Juve. Yeah, and uh, on the incident, it was. Uh... An issue where Milan were playing out of the back, were being pressed a little bit by Juve. Uh, what looked like a routine play, pass from Calabria to Bakioko was read perfectly by Pjanic. Jumped into the ball, played in Moise Can, who uh, buried his chance there in the 84th minute to give Juve the 2-1 uh, 
uh, lead, and that would would go on. They would go on to win that match. And uh, uh, Matt, what a revelation Moise Ken has become here for Juventus. He's he's a special player. I I tweeted something after the match, and I you know I took my Milan hat off for a brief moment, and you know obviously after he buried the goal, um, you know I was pretty much saying you no, know, it's a real treat for Serie A to have a talent like that. Um, and even more so for the national team to have a talent like that who can play out wide, can play centrally. And when you when he comes on the pitch or whether he starts the game or he comes on the pitch off the bench, he, you, he has that kind of on the keeps you on the edge of your seat type feel about him that we really don't see that often uh, in Serie A and for many Italian players. So uh, for him, Juventini want to hold on to him tight. They want to get that contract extension wrapped up, however many tractors it takes uh, to give to his father to make him uh, put, put pen to paper. But uh, yeah, a very special player and a, a classy kid too. You know, I saw a lot of the um, the way he reacted um, in the face of that race, racial abuse that he received, and even after that, he on Twitter. I mean, excuse me, on Instagram. You know, he has. I think like he was, you know, giving back to the community. He was playing, you know, playing with some young kids and all those certain things. So he seems like a very mature, uh, uh, wise young man who is also very talented at football. So uh, the sky's the limit for him for sure. Agreed, agreed. I think what impressed me most. <clears throat> what impresses me most with him are, are some things that impress me a lot with Piontek to be a young striker and to be able to read the game like they do. Um, Ken created his own space for that goal, uh, which I'm, which I was impressed with. He, he bends, he, he watches run when Pjanic wins it. He, he reads immediately that, you know, Rodriguez is just staying in support of the center backs there. So he bends away from him and he creates that, the space between him and, and Rodriguez is that passing lane for Pjanic to play him in. I mean, just to, to have that instinct and to read that so quickly is very impressive. Now, on the flip side for Milan, that's an avoidable goal, um, and and that's on Rodriguez. Uh, the man, okay, Pjanic is not necessarily as dangerous in that situation as Ken is. The man furthest forward is the most dangerous, in my opinion, and that's one where if Rodriguez tracks Ken. I think there's I, I think that goal gets avoided. There's no goal there, and I'll and I'll and I'll tell you why. Um, you you force Pjanic into a couple of decisions there if he wants to try to get a direct att- if there if there if Juve wants a direct attempt on goal, you're forcing Pjanic into one or two options. One, he can shoot from the position that he's at. Reyna can see it. The defenders can see it. Everybody's in position. Two, okay. So if Rodriguez chases Ken, if you're following me here, Matt, mm-hmm. um, if he chases Ken. Then there's a space, there's a there's a there's a gap now between Ken and Romagnoli where you would think, okay, now here's where it works. Pjanic can can split those two and play Ken in that way. Well, a, a goalkeeper like Reyna and his experience is going to be able to read that. Um, so the through pass to me wouldn't have been on. It, it would have been read by Reyna. He would have came out and picked it up, um, considering where everybody was. Because I think that Ken, Rodriguez, Romagnoli, they're all at the top of the they're all at the top of the penalty area when they, when this when this all happened. So. Um, so I put this on, I put this on Rodriguez as much as I put it on Calabria for allowing to get his pass telegraphed, but I think that it was also brilliant reading of the game, uh, by Pjanic, uh, to step in and intercept the pass. I think it was quality done by the two substitutes there by Juve. Uh, but I think that there are some, some things there that Milan's players could have done to avoid that, to avoid that goal. Now I'm, I'm splitting hairs here. It happened so quickly that I think everybody reacted um, but when you go back and you look at it, you say, well, you know, great bended run there by Ken to get away from Rodriguez, to get the passing lane, to get the ball. But 
I, maybe Rodriguez should be tracking him uh, to take any kind of ball away and force Pjanic to maybe shoot from distance or uh, force him to try a tough through pass. Those that, That's what I saw on that replay. I thought that Milan could have shaped themselves a little bit differently to avoid that goal. 100%. You know, it's unfortunate, too, because, right, if you're Milan in this situation and you you feel that there's points to be had for you, whether it be a draw, whether it even be a win, I think the win was still there enough for grabs for sure. Uh, you can't have individual errors cost you. It costs you against Samp. Um, you know, it's something as simple as that where, you know, when you're not playing your best, you can't afford the opponent those extra chances. And you, I mean, you have to make them work for that extra ground is what I'm saying. And it, it's one of those things where you're watching and you're like, of course, you know, Juve really weren't their strongest in this game. You know, we'd have to call it like it is. I don't think they played that well at all. Um, but they, 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 they found a way to win the game, right? That's something they tend to do more times than not. And pretty much more than any other club in Italy is when they don't even have their best, they still have that talent that ultimately tends to shine through and decide the match for them. Whereas with Milan, you were just like, you're just hoping that if they were just able to limit those errors and have maybe a guy like Suso or a 50, 50 ball going to Piontech maybe they would have been able to steal a victory here. A huge victory would have been probably the turning point of the season for Milan when you really think about how uh, how difficult things have been for them these past couple of weeks to go on the road into a fortress like Jay Stadium and get a victory or even a draw that they could take with them um, as, a, as a moral victory. Uh, that you, you kind of feel like, you know, the all these things that the official, official excuse me, the officiating is trying to do it now and backtracking and meeting with Cattuso and Leonardo is saying, well, we messed up here. It's almost like I, I save it. You don't even want to hear it because it's like, what good does it do us now? We just got another defeat. So uh, a tough loss for Milan, for sure, especially when you feel that you can touch those points and uh, you can feel that there was something to be had in that match. And uh, for Juve, uh, it's they they have uh, a lot of work to do, for sure. Uh, you, if you're, you're heading into this this Ajax game on the back of that performance with Chiellini possibly being out, I heard reports that he may not be uh, up for this game. Uh, Juve have to kind of be be careful here how they tread to uh, to this match because Ajax we saw what they did to Real Madrid and you know there was a lot of things to take away from this Juve Milan match uh, you know moving forward for both clubs. Let's let's talk let's 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 put a wrap on Milan and we'll come back to the the Champions League game and we'll preview that here. Okay, this performance, is this, as a Milan supporter, what are your thoughts? Uh, have they, because I, I said going in, I mean, the, after the draw against Udinese, I said, I'm, I'm very, very concerned that Milan peaked, um, you know, at the beginning of 2019. And that this is, it's probably the best we're going to see from Milan for the rest of the season. Now, does this performance give you encouragement that they may not be the case? Or are you skeptical that, uh-oh, Milan emptied the tank trying to get something out of this, and <laughs> what's going what's gonna to happen the rest of the way? Well, we saw this a little bit last year when Gattuso took over, if you recall. Milan went on a, such a great run. I think they were one of the – they were way improved defensively with Bonucci and Romagnoli. They started creeping up the table. I think they were as close as four or five points behind Inter for the fourth place. So they were, they were right there. They made such a surge it's similar to what they what they did at the beginning of 2019. And then, of course, they fell off and, uh, you know, they had the they just couldn't make up that ground. The difference between last year and this year, of course, is those teams around Milan, which everyone's talking about it now. They've been dropping points. You know, teams, for example, was Lazio, right? They drop points. I think they have won from their previous two games against teams like Spal and Sassuolo. If you're a team that wants to finish top four, 
you got to find out to get you got to find a way to get more than one point from those two games. No, if no if sands or buts about it, especially with the way that Roma's playing as well. So uh, for for me, I think if you know looking at Milan's situation at this point in time, I'm not saying they they've. I would agree with you. Yes, they they probably did peak because they were winning some games and doing doing so in impressive fashion. Um, but when you look at some of the matches they got coming up, Lazio, Parma, then they have Lazio in the Coppa Italia, Torino, Bologna. I think the way their season ends, they still have that opportunity to turn it around and pick up great form and pick up the necessary points to finish fourth. Uh, I will say this, though, is that you know, they – you don't lose out on your objectives and your top four objectives by losing to teams like Juve, to teams like Napoli. You lose on those top four objectives when you drop points to teams like Udinese and Frosinone and Empoli and Bologna, those sort of teams. So with that in mind, I'm looking at Milan's schedule is that you got to move past the Juve game. Unfortunately, the officials, it, things didn't go your way. You know, maybe better luck next time. But uh, they got to look towards, you know, the Lazio game, then Parma. Just take care of the take care of your business. Let the, let the rest fall where it may. But um, I, I am optimistic that you know, given how soft or relatively soft the final stretch of games are for Milan, Bologna, Frosinone, Spal, those are the, some of the last games to do play. Um, there is reason to believe that Milan can get hitched right again and finish strong to the point where they'll find themselves in that conversation for top four, regardless of um, the, how the past couple of games have went. And looking at you know to follow up on Milan's schedule. A number of teams here that are either not interested in playing anymore or are running out of interest in playing. Uh, Parma, Torino, Fiorentina, um, chief among them. Uh, Frosinone, once they're formally down, um, you know, Bologna is going to be still battling for something by the time Milan play them. Spall uh, away from Milan that, you know, Spall might already have things sorted out by then and might have, might, might have, might very well have survived uh, by then. So, yeah, it's an interesting uh, it's an interesting dynamic what the schedule brings. It's a a navigable one in terms of you know Milan's run in probably being the best in terms of teams that want to try to uh, you know reach the Champions League next season. Um, you know, but when you look at the name when you look at the names on the schedule, they're still landmines enough, and it, they're they're unknown commodities and how they're going to approach these games the rest of the way because you know Torino's still got a little bit of fight left for a European place, but Fiorentina's fallen off. Uh, Parma are safe for next season uh, at this stage. Well, I shouldn't necessarily say that. They're only six points above the drop now, and, and, and they're dropping points left and right, so maybe they might be motivated. But anyway, you know, when I look at the run-ins for everybody, I think that, that Milan's might, Milan might have the most navigable one, and if they can beat Lazio on Saturday, I think that that uh, probably re-energizes their campaign for finishing top four. Um, now to Juventus, because, uh, I mean, the, the, when we talk about Juventus in these league games now, it's pretty much meh because they're going to win the Scudetto. Uh, but now a big game now on Wednesday. They are at Ajax. Uh, we saw how Ajax dismantled Real Madrid in the round of 16 in the Champions League in the Bernabeu of all places. And it, as you mentioned, the prospect of going to the Amsterdam Arena and your best defender not being available, Giorgio Chiellini, this is not as good a defense. I mean, Juve is not as good a defensive team uh, without Chiellini in there, and the prospect of a uh, Rugani-Bonucci partnership should have the Ajax attack salivating, shouldn't they? Yeah, I, I think if you're Ajax, you, you know you. you look, I mean, when you look at Juve's back line, right? When they got rid of Benatia, people were scratching their heads, saying, 
what, what, why are you getting rid of Benati here? Obviously, we knew he wanted to more. He wanted more playing time, so that obviously played a played a factor in um, into his decision to leave Juve during uh, during the January transfer window. But you can already see that Juve were slim at the back. Um, they they definitely were needed that depth because with Rugani, um, you know, these past couple seasons, he's uh, that hype is starting to wear off. It's either now or never for him to decide whether or not he is Juve material. Um, and at certain points, you know, you can see he does look promising, but at certain points, he he just looks like he's lost out there. So you really could see how important Chiellini is to the defense, and you can how, see how important he is to how that defense is structured, how they get on, and how they are, um, manage to stay organized and composed throughout an entire match when they are facing pressure. Bonucci's not the same player without Chiellini. So this is, this is going to have a little bit of a trickle-down effect, and not to mention he's he's... Uh, uh, the captain, he's a leader for them. He's battle tested. He's been in these battles before. He's probably, aside from Ronaldo, the one player that Juve can't afford to be without in this match. And for for Ajax, you really got to take that as as a, as a blessing because you know in a in a short a short tournament in a, in a small format like this over two legs, if you can find a way to get an away goal or extra, or take advantage of not having a guy like Chiellini in, in the fold. Uh, you know that could be that that could decide whether or not they go home or they they move on and they to keep this dream alive. So uh, yeah, it's gonna be uh, it's gonna be interesting to watch for sure. And, you know the, the quarterfinals of the Champions League. Uh, there's so many great matches, but of course as as Calcio experts, Calcio uh, uh, aficionados, Ajax Juventus uh, is is the one that we are keeping our eyes on the most. For sure, uh, I'm. Ajax Juventus brings a lot of memories to me. Uh, the uh, 96 uh, Champions League mm-hmm. final was probably, to me, one of the best games to ever watch. You were in diapers back then, Matt. I was four. Um, <laughs> oh, you were four? Four. So you're yeah. just, just barely out of diapers then. So. Yep. Okay. Okay. <laughs> um, but uh, uh, for me, the, the when, with what with, uh, what what Ajax brought forward, you know what I mean? Just great names. Uh, you had Sedorf, you had Davids, you had uh, the DeBoer brothers, you had... Um, uh, you had Vanity George, Litmanen, uh, Clivert, uh, you know, just uh, wonderful talent there. And then Juve with uh, Rabinelli, Vialli, and Del Piero up front. And uh, Moreno Torricelli, who was the man of the match in that game. And uh, Paulo Souza in midfield. And uh, just uh, great talent on both teams. And just, uh, it, you know, it was 1 1 and it went to penalties and Juve won. But the way the game went, you would have thought it ended 3 3. I mean, they both just went after each other. It was a joy to watch. And, uh, I, you know, I hope to see something like that here over the course of two legs here. But I think that without Chiellini, um, Allegri is going to really try to figure out how to clamp this down and get resourceful because we've seen this so many times from Juve. When you look at the four favorites, Juve, Barcelona, Liverpool, Manchester City, Juve is the one team that they're not going to go out and just try to blast away at people and score four or five goals. You know, no. they, they, they're methodical. Uh, they manage their way through the 90 minutes. They manage their way through the 180 minutes. I fully expect that that's how they're going to approach these two games against Ajax, and especially the game in Amsterdam, and especially if they're not going to have Chiellini. Um, I think they find a way to get a 1-1 draw here, Matt. Um, it's just it's just some sort of resourcefulness. And, I, you know, I think Ajax are going to have more of the ball in this game, and I think they're going to generate more of the chances, but – Juve's going to get one goal. They're going to catch Ajax in a either on a set piece or they're going to catch them in a in a situation where they're just overextended trying to go forward and they're going to make them pay for it. Uh, and they're going to be very happy to take a one-one draw back to the J where they can uh, they can get they can win there and go through the semis. Uh, how do you, what, what's your prediction for Wednesday? 
Well, I think if you're Ajax, you, you, you kind of try to stick to the same blueprint that you did against Real Madrid, right? Where the first leg they lost, I think it was 2-0, but played better than a 2-0 result. They were probably the better side in that match. And, you know, really, if you look at a 2-0 result against Real Madrid, you're thinking, oh, we really don't like our chances. But Ajax were well within their right to think that they could, you know, uh, dethrone Real Madrid, of course, three-time running champion. And sure enough, they came back, with, came back with an even better performance in that second leg and, and knocked off Real Madrid. I think you, know, you really have to go with the same blueprint in this. If you can have a performance where, to your point, you know, it's 1-0, 1-1-2-1. Obviously, 2-1 would be de- you know, detrimental because of two away goals. But if you could keep this thing tight, you know, 1-1, and just give yourself a fighter's chance going on the road to, uh, to ter- uh, ter- uh, turn in a couple weeks' time. I think, Ajax, you know, you, you, stranger things have happened. Of course, we saw what happened with Roma Barcelona. Um, you just really never know if you can kind of keep yourself within, uh, again, striking distance, you know, a, a bounce here and there in your favor, and you can find yourself in the next round of the Champions League. So um, with all that being said, I, I like I, I think I, Juventus is going to get a victory here. Um, I could see it being maybe 1-0. They're trying to get out and dodge, get a 1-0 win, get that away goal, keep Ajax off the, t- off the uh, score sheet, and then return home where they're very comfortable. They know how to... Uh, defend well they can defend for for an, and almost an entirety of a match and of course they'll have a much more fit uh, Giorgio Chiellini or really have him if that um so I, I anticipate a Juve getting a professional victory here I don't see them dominating Ajax I think Ajax are going to come to play um they don't have anything to lose but they have everything to gain and um I could see it going about 1-0 in favor of Juve Yep, uh, I don't I, I don't disagree that that's a that, that that's an outcome that that could happen um I, I I think that without Chiellini, I think I actually going to get one. Um, so that's just a bit, but I'll I'll happily see who they win this one nil. I've, I've got no problem with that either. So uh, so you say one nil, uh, I say one one. Uh, go to at City. I sit down on Twitter or Instagram. Give us what you think uh, will happen at the Amsterdam Arena. Uh, let's look at the rest of match week thirty one because yes, there were other games. All right, Matt. Uh, I'm just going to whip through the scores, and we'll kind of talk about things one by one as far as what jumped out. Uh, Saturday's action, uh, Parma and Torino, Torino nil-nil. Don't let that nil-nil fool you. Torino was interested in playing. They did everything but score here uh, with 16 with 16 shots in this game. Um, Sampdoria and Roma, Roma winning uh, a goal to nil at the Marassi on a goal by uh, Daniele De Rossi, of all people. Um, uh, so Roma getting three big points in their pursuit for fourth. Uh, and then uh, Sunday's action, Fiorentina continue, uh, I don't know, downward spiral, decline, just, uh, you know, I, I think any of those descriptions are fitting, but they lose at home to Frosinone 1-0, uh, Ciofani with the goal there. Uh, one of the more interesting and entertaining games of the weekend, uh, and, and really a relegation six-pointer going in, Udinese hosting Empoli, uh, Francesco Caputo opened the scoring um in the 11th minute, uh, it was Rodrigo de Paul with a very nice goal uh, in the 14th to equalize. And then uh, Rade Krunic would score to give Empoli a 2-1, win, 2-1 lead in the first half, a uh, penalty uh, for de Paul to get his brace in the 41st. And Mandragora added again with another goal from distance in the 45th. Uh, Udin- that's all the goals in the first half. That's all the goals that would happen. Udinese 3 Empoli 2, and Udinese did finish the match on 10 men. Zegelar with a double yellow in this game. 
Uh, Cagliari hosting Spall. That went 2-1 to the Sardinians. Uh, Farago in the third minute. Uh, an Antonucci penalty in the 18th. And then Pavoletti with the winner in the 60th. Uh, Lazio and Sassuolo, 2-2. Immobile with a penalty in the 53rd minute. That handball did get called for a penalty, as we mentioned. Sassuolo would equalize four minutes later through Rogerio in the 57th. In the 89th minute, after Lazio pretty much pounded away at Sassuolo and uh, Ciro Immobile showed off his Italian national team form uh, throughout the match. How many easy chances did he miss in that game, Matt? Too many. <laughs> Way too, too many. many. I mean, it just, it, he looked like it was almost like he had the Italy shirt on. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's something's got to change with him because it's, you know, obviously we saw he what he's capable of doing the past couple of seasons at Lazio. He's been sensational. Even before he went to Dortmund, he was great at Torino. So, you know, he's obviously on his, on his day when he is going good. He is a top, top striker and he can bring the, he can produce the goods. But, uh, you know, for Lazio, they, you know, they've had Luis Alberto in great form recently. He's been sensational, probably one of their best players since, uh, since uh, 2019 began, they need Immobile striking and firing on, on all cylinders, and he can't be wasting those chances because, obviously, as you just mentioned, 2-2 two, two to Sassuolo, that game they definitely should have won. Yep. It was Berardi in the 89th, and then Lulic with a last gasp, last gasp goal in the 95th for Lazio to rescue a point out of this Inter-Atalanta goalless, and it was every bit as boring as a 0-0 should be. I actually watched a good chunk of this game. Um and didn't find, I think, one uh, noteworthy, a great chance for Icardi to win it for Inter on a magnificent save by Golini um, uh, to help Atalanta preserve the away point. Napoli won, Genoa won, Dries Mertens with a goal in the 34th minute. This is after a Stefano, uh, Stefano Storaro red. Um, and then uh, Lazovic in the 45 plus three, so in the third minute of stoppage time in the first half, equalized for Genoa. Napoli pounded away at Genoa for the rest of the game and could not come away with a winner. So 1-1, it ended there. And then on Monday, it was Bologna 3, Chievo 0, all goals in the second half, two Eric Polgar penalties, and then Dykes getting his first Serie A goal with the Rosso Blue. So those were your results. Uh, and Matt, I think let's start with um, Roma because I have been beating the hell out of them all season on this podcast. Um and I think I have a right to, considering, <laughs> you know, considering how they played, how they defended. <laughs> but they go on. This team's weird. They go on the road. They go to Sampdoria, who score goals like crazy at the Marassi, and they shut them out. They can't shut. They and 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 this is a Roma team that up until then couldn't stop anybody. Yeah, and their their their, uh, their defensive issues and their goalkeeping issues have been well documented, right? With with Olsen and uh, their backline just being uh, very atrocious this season, to say the least. If you ask any Roma fan, they'll tell you that you know, uh, besides goalkeeping, the defense and and having that uh, revamped and improved in the uh, in the summer is going to be a top priority for them. Uh, you know, again, to your point, you know, Milan struggled so much against Samp um, at the Marazzi. Now you see Roma uh, finding a way to get three points against them. When when Roma seemed to always be dropping points and, and kind of allowing Milan to kind of say, hey, we're, we're still in fourth place somehow, some way. We're, you know, none of these teams seem to want this position from us. Milan are giving every reason why they don't deserve it, right, as of late. And, of course, you know, Roma are fi- finally managed to get a victory here. They, they, they obviously closed the gap between them and Milan. Uh, they gained ground on uh, Atalanta, of course, and they also uh, gained ground on Lazio. So, overall, a very good weekend for Roma. Yeah, very good weekend indeed. And uh, 
I, I, it, it occurred to me why Roma won one nil. Uh, Antonio Mirante started in goal. There you go. They win, they win, and they keep clean sheets when he starts. Um, when, when Robin Olsen has been an absolute disaster all season long, but then when they he's go, he's gone with, in the summer anyway. He's got to be, just yeah. got to be. There's just it, it didn't work, you know, and they'll they'll move on. Um, what do you make of the story with? Uh, Oh, Richard is Richard is chiming in. Richard is uh, got, gotten up from his slumber and has said Mirante has started two games in a row, so we should make sure we point that out. Um, so, uh, thanks, Richard. Uh, appreciate uh, appreciate the uh, heads up on that. Um, what did he do in the other game, Roma? Two uh, two against Fiorentina. Okay, uh, but anyway, he's he's uh, picked up a couple of wins and a couple of clean sheets. Uh, Coming back to Roma's stories about it looks like they're looking to replace um, Monchi, and uh, it's the fellow that's been at Arsenal, um, and the name escapes me. Uh, I thought I read a little blurb that they're that they're looking at him for their uh, sporting director. Um, yeah, I, I, I recall the name too, but it's, it's escaping me as well. But uh, uh, here it is, Miss uh, Miss Lintot. Yes, there you go. Yes. From uh, and this is from your uh, from from one of your uh, from from one of your places where you work, uh, Football Italia. They've opened talks with former Arsenal and Borussia Dortmund scout Sven Mislintat. Uh, he's was introduced to Roma president James Palotta. He's currently out of work after vacating vacating his role as Arsenal's head of recruitment. Uh, he worked his way up at Dortmund, going on to become their chief scout. Uh, Credited with putting together the Dortmund side, who won back-to-back Bundesliga and reached a Champions League final between 2011 and 2013. Uh, uh, not clear what his role would be with the Giallo Rossi, who still need a technical director. Interesting. So um, can't be any worse than the Monchi disaster uh, of the last couple of seasons. And I just I, I, I'm old enough to remember when everybody was excited about Monchi being on board at Roma and how how great they were going to be uh, with his ability to put together teams. So. Um, but uh, the other side of Rome, Lazio, I mean, they just they're, they're back to being a team that just can't get out of their own way. Yeah, they, you know, it's, it's weird. Right? You know, they, they took a, a great turn after that, uh, that Derby della Capitale a couple weeks ago. Of course, they got the, the big, big victory over Roma. Roma uh, bowed out of the Champions League, fired their manager. Monkey left, and you know Roma, Lazio looked like they were on the on the rise and ready to kind of have a uh, take a firm grasp of fourth. But you know, week to week, it's they're looking at it and you're thinking, uh, does Lazio, does Lazio have it right? They're a team that they were so close last year, they lost it on the final match day to Inter, where it was pretty much in their palm of their hands, and they let they let it slip through their their fingertips very late from a Matias Vecino goal. It's almost the same thing happening here and. You wonder, are they? Do they have the mentality? Do they have that that leadership, that that experience, that uh, that that stick togetherness with that group under Simone Inzaghi to get it done? And uh, I I just wonder if that is something that plays into Milan's hand with Gattuso, because regardless of some of the uh, results that Milan have gotten, there seems to be that chemistry, that togetherness in that locker room, and they the guys really do back Gattuso. And you wonder if that you know if we're gonna look at anything besides play on the field as something that that can kind of play into Milan's hand. Obviously, we got to look at Atalanta with Gasparini, who I believe are the the, the high-scoring uh, team in, in in Italy, which is insane to think about when you have a, t- a team that has Cristiano Ronaldo at Juve um, and all the guys they have, of course, and even Napoli, that the Atalanta are the team that are scoring amongst the best. But, yeah, getting back to Lazio, 
I don't know what team you're going to get each week. And I think that's kind of plays into the whole uh, top race for top four, right? You know, uh, aside from Atalanta, who've been pretty consistent, in my opinion, all things considered, they've kind of been on course to what for what many have believed to be a good season for them. But Roma, Lazio, and Milan seem to be week to week where you just there's such a mixed bag that you don't know what performance you're going to get. Right. And Atalanta uh, joint uh, top goals with Juventus on 64 goals. Um, Atalanta, uh, I mean, the more the more I think about that Atalanta Bologna game because I watched it, um, the more I think that uh, Mihailovic made eight changes because he just flat out felt I'm not getting anything <laughs> in Bergamo, so I'm just going to trot these guys out and hope for the best and save save my guys for Kievo, which is what you know what he did and it seems like it paid off. But you know the Atalanta side of this, um, a, a rare clean sheet here against Inter. Uh, Golini with an excellent save, as I mentioned, on Dicardi uh, to help preserve the point. Um, but, uh, I mean, these two teams, Inter and, Inter and Atalanta, I mean, the win would have been amazing for Inter because then they're sitting on 59 and they're eight points clear uh, of the Champions League places. But not, but, but failing to put away Atalanta at home, they're still not out of the weeds. They're still not in the clear for a Champions League place. Let's, uh, you know, your your thoughts on Inter and Atalanta at this point? Well, with Inter, it's interesting too because you know they 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 were slid that that third spot seemed like it was it was going to be out of reach, and obviously that fourth made me for a while. Milan were in third. Uh, then, of course, then, you know, Roma, Lazio, they were kind of not too far behind for Inter in that fourth spot. And, and Inter fans were, uh, you know, ready to uh, you know jump off the bridge, so to speak. But um, you know, in spite of that, you know, you, you start to see Inter, they get Mauro Riccardi back. He scores a couple goals. Now, all of a sudden, you're thinking, OK, with Milan the way they're in, you know, Lazio and Roma, OK, we're in the safe zone. We're clear to go. We have Mauro Riccardi back. If we can just get past all the drama that's been happening with Mauro, Spalletti, and Wandanaro, then maybe we have a third uh, uh, locked up here. But uh, you know, again, to your point, you know, that a draw there against against Atalanta, where Milan lose, Lazio lose, and you're thinking, uh, I mean, not Lazio, excuse me, not Lazio lose. They lost the previous week. They tied this week to, to Sassuolo. Enter, uh, they're they're kicking themselves right now. I, I do think they're going to get one of the the, the the three or fourth spot, but they they could be making it a lot more easier on themselves than they are. And I think you really can. You got to look at them as they're the ones to blame for that. Obviously, with all the the interior, inter, um, excuse me, internal problems that they've had the entire season, uh, they got to find a way to get this thing, you know, uh, solved and and sorted out. Because uh, you know, as you can tell with this, with the way the table is, they're they're not at the weeds as you as you just mentioned. Yeah, for, for sure. Um, Napoli, real quick. Uh, I mean, the one one against Genoa. They now will play at. Arsenal, and I think they caught they caught a big break here um, with uh, how the draw worked out because initially they were the ones first out, which would have been the home leg for the first leg. But uh, because of the Europa, because of the stipulation of Chelsea still being in the competition, that Arsenal would have to. They determined that if they were both drawn in the same position, whether it was a home position or away position, it would be Arsenal that would have to flip. Uh, so the first game's at the Emirates, which I think is a big advantage for Napoli because. Um, the that's 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 huge for them to be able to have the second leg of the San Paolo. Uh, but let's talk about Thursday at Arsenal. Uh, Arsenal coming off losing at Everton by uh, by one nil. Um, awful defeat. Awful defeat for them. Didn't necessarily really play their strongest team, but uh, you know Torreira was suspended. Uh, he will play Thursday. You've got to 
figure he's going to have a role. Um, you know, you're going to see Aubameyang in there uh, with, with, with more of a presence. So, so clearly the team that trotted out at Goodison on Sunday is not going to be the team that Napoli sees. How do you see Thursday going down for the Partenope? I think actually um, Napoli are going to – I think it's going to be very tight. I do believe this is going to be 1-1. Uh, Napoli are going to get a goal in this uh, on the road um, at the Emirates, but that's going to be perfect. That's that's plenty for them, right? You get the away goal, um, you kind of rebound after that that draw to Genoa. Uh, look, this is the trophy that that Napoli have to prioritize. You know, obviously this is the only competition that they have to worry about. And they know. have, I think they have. Exactly, I think they've done. A, I think Carlo Ancelotti has done a good job with everything, all things considered. Uh, yes, of course, they're they're not on 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 on, on a track to have the same amount of points they had last year. But if they can trade that you know historic season they had last year for another second place finish and a Europa League trophy, I think the Napoli fans would definitely take that. Given the fact that um, you know there's certain areas of the of the team that they do have to improve upon. But you can see the nucleus, the foundation is for there for a strong Napoli team for uh, now and for the future, right? If you have Ancelotti in there for multiple years, you have that consistency at the helm that um, Aurelio De Laurentiis pro- tends to like. I think he gave Maurizio sorry, plenty of time to try and win something. He's going to give uh, Ancelotti a really long leash here. Uh, a trophy would go a long way for Napoli. It would go a long way for, uh, for Serie A as well, right? If you have Juve still making a deep run in the Champions League. Uh, possibly winning it, and then you have Napoli maybe winning the Europa League. Uh, it looks very strong for 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 Italian football because the Europa League has been in recent years has been dominated by um, Sevilla. I think they won three or three in a row, if I recall. Manchester United won, uh, Chelsea won, Atletico Madrid won. So uh, for an Italian team to uh, win the Europa League would be very special. And of course, uh, I think I, th- I think I speak for everyone when we when I say that everyone's in Napoli's corner. They really do want them to get past Arsenal, and a 1-1 result here would be perfect for them. Agreed, absolutely. And I'm with you on that 1-1. I mean, you know, for what Arsenal can give you going forward and Lacazette and and Aubameyang and um, who knows if Ozil has a role in this game or if it's Mkhitaryan or if it's Ramsey or, uh, you know, who kind of completes, you know, Iwobi, uh, you know, whatever Unai Emery decides to do. um, I think Arsenal are very overrated defensively, and I think that they have a propensity to leak goals, and, and you're playing a Napoli side that loves to score goals. So uh, I, I I like that 1-1 call. I'm going to go with that too. So, um, you know, which will set up nicely for them in the second leg of the San Paolo. Um, all right, real quick, a couple things. First of all, Fiorentina, despite the defeat, they're sticking with uh, Pioli. I don't see a problem with this. Who else are you going to get this late in the season, right? Yeah, you stick with the manager to the rest of the season. They're comfortable enough to the point where they're definitely not going to get relegated, um, barring a massive collapse, of course. But um, they're not, I, I think it's still uh, the Europa League's still a long shot, of course. Again, stranger things have happened in this league. I think there's the spots are up for grabs, as you can tell. Um, but finish the season, finish wherever you have to finish mid-table. Um, they are getting some quality players in the summer. Zerkowski, I talked about on the Couchland podcast, he's coming over, um, and he's a very young, uh, very talented box-to-box midfielder that they can definitely you know, slide into that midfield. But uh, the coaching situation is going to be very interesting. Pioli is probably going to finish out the season. Maybe he'll uh, be sacked before the end of the season. They'll have a caretaker for the remaining couple games. But nevertheless, they're definitely going to go with a different manager in the summer. Um, some people have said maybe Di Francesco would be an option for them. I think that, you know, maybe his, his ceiling was Roma. Um, and there's nothing wrong with that. Maybe he is a manager who would be perfect, a perfect fit for Fiorentina. Um, he has that Champions League experience. He did give them a deep run. He has consistent top four finishes. 
So uh, maybe that's a good fit for them. But uh, yeah, I think keeping Pioli for the rest of the season, I have no problem with that. Again, they're not threatened with that relegation battle. They're not obviously in that position where they have to uh, really uh, worry about anything above them. They can kind of just stay the course, finish comfortably in the mid-table where they have been in most years and um, worry about what they want to do in the summer with the uh, coaching situation and uh, overhauling the squad. I agree with you there. Um, and then let's let's just dump into the uh, relegation fight here, uh, and then we'll answer some listener questions and be on our way. Um, Bologna and Udinese, um, let's start with them. Uh, Richard and I have been maintaining week after week. These two teams just have too much talent to be dropped. Yeah, I, I mean, I, when I look at the relegation battle, it's it seems pretty cut and dry for me. Uh, Frosinone and Kievo, I think it was inevitable. Those two teams were, are quite clearly two of the worst teams in Italy right now. Um, but there's a lot of battling between some of these other clubs, right? Empoli is a team that you've seen, you know, spurts from them. They they, they have looked promising at times. And, you know, uh, you, you wonder if they're going to be one of those clubs that finds a way to escape and, and maybe they get swapped with a team like Bologna or um, Spa, right? It's That's going to go definitely go down to the wire. But, uh, yeah, I, I would definitely would agree with you and, uh, and Rich that um, you know, those two clubs have been uh, – have been uh, at times very exciting. Of course, it's it's very difficult to project how certain clubs at the bottom are going to finish the season. Um, obviously, we saw what happened a couple of seasons ago with uh, Crotone with the Great Escape, um, mm-hmm. and even Benevento. Right at times, you know, look at them. You know, over the, the last year where you know they finished in the cellar, of course, but there were spurts where they looked pretty good. And if there was a couple matches that found a way to work in their favor in the end, they lost a ton of points in the last couple minutes of of, of their matches then maybe they would have had a, d- a different fate. But, um, yeah, that, again, that's just the nature of the beast. That's just the nature of football. you got to play the full 90 and, and see out some of these results. Yeah, and Bologna right now, four wins and five. Um, the, that, that loss being yeah. that that loss being that, that, that game that they just – they went to – like I said, they went to Atalanta and threw that away. I mean, it's impressive. Uh, it's impressive as Atalanta were in those first 15 minutes scoring four goals. You, you look at Bologna's lineup and you say, yeah, yeah. Miha – Miha's being Miha, and he's saying, I, I'm not getting anything out of this, so I'm going to trot these guys out here and hope for the best, and I'll worry about beating Kievo. He's, so. he's done a great job with them. People in Zaghi yeah. kind of you put them in the – it's it's kind of quite clear that maybe people in Zaghi is not cut out to be a top-flight manager. He did a pretty good job with Venezia. Uh, he struggled at Milan, of course. I think many managers have struggled at Milan in that situation. But, um, yeah, credit to Mia. He's done a great job stepping in, uh, going on such a good run with Bologna where – uh, I can definitely see them finishing uh, definitely uh, comfortably above that drop zone. I mean, he's playing Ricardo Orsolini regularly. That's something he's doing that well. people, yeah, Very and he's well. doing really well. And people didn't, people couldn't figure that out for whatever reason. Um, Eric Pulgar seems to have gotten rejuvenated under Mihailovic as well. I think I thought that Pulgar going into the season uh, was an interesting player that I thought was ready to make another step forward, and he. Started declining under Inzaghi, but all of a sudden has a bit of a rebirth. Never mind the two penalties that he scored here against Kievo. So, and then you look at Udinese with players like Fofana and DePaul um, and Mandragora and, and and players like that. I mean, it's just uh, you, that's not a team you want to see go down. I mean, if, if if we had to vote for somebody out of these teams, I would vote for Spall to go down because I think they, you know, watching a handful of their games against better competition, they don't seem they don't seem particularly interested in playing culture. They just seem particularly interested in just cutting down the opponent um, over the course of 90 minutes. That's at least what I see when I watch ball play. There's, there's always with um, certain two of these clubs, you know, you look at Empoli with Caputo, he's kind of carrying them on their, on their back, on his back with, I think 14 goals on the season. And I'll then you look at, 
And then you look at Spall, and they got Petania, who's having a great season for them. Yeah, well, let me jump in on Empoli. I mean, uh, if if they should happen to go down, one player that's not going to have a hard time finding work in Serie A is Rade Krunic. He's he's in some form right now, and I like the way he plays. Yeah, it's you always look at those gems. They've you know they just they tend they tend to have uh, you know I even looked at Pescara a couple seasons ago where they had uh, Benali. I think he's a Libyan international, and he was one of those guys that I was kind of stunned that didn't stay with uh, or at least get a job with a Serie A club. So uh, yeah, good good nod on that. He'll definitely uh, find some uh, some top flight business in the summer. Okay, so Frozenone and Kievo, we think are going down. Who who goes with them? Who who in, in in the end, if you had to make a prediction now, who's going down with them? I think it's Spall. I'm with you. I think it's Spall. I think there's there's certain clubs. It's I think Empoli have enough. I think they have enough just to barely get above. I think maybe Caputo is going to have a couple good matches where maybe he he lifts Empoli up, uh, over the top. Maybe they finish 17th. Um, but yeah, I think Spall, Frozenone, and Kievo in that order. Yeah, uh, I, I I I like that a lot. All right, let's just real quick. I know I, I know you got work to do, but let's whip through some. Uh, let's rip through. We had three listener questions. I want to give them their time. Should have done this during the Milan Juve recap because they just all happen to be Milan related questions. Um, we'll start with at Trini Sports Guy uh, VJ Rahman. Uh, he says, given Milan's lack of goals recently, should Reno consider using Piante Cutrone up front more often? Uh, the goal against Udinese showed they can work together, and in my honest opinion, it's worth trying for a few more games. I don't know about you, Matt. I'm not a fan of playing them both from the start. I, I like it if you have to go to it later on in a game. And I only say this because I, I still think even though they were able to work together and produce a goal against Udinese, characteristically you know, and, and, and functionally, they're the same kind of striker. And I don't like playing – if I'm playing two strikers up front, I don't like playing two of the same striker. I like a – you know, typically I want to see a big target and then another guy who's going to run uh, and find and, and get in the spaces and, and get out in front of him or get in positions where he can where he can play off of the target. And I I find Cutrone and Piantic to be functionally similar with Piantic being able to do the job better than Cutrone. How, how do you feel about that? I think you're I think you're spot on there, uh, Frank. I look at, you know, the, the two strike setup. It's uh, Berlusconi favorite. He always pretty much mentions that he he just wants to see a four, three, one, two. Um, obviously, you know, the guys we have right now, it's not the same as uh, when we had uh, Shevchenko, Pipo and Kaka up there. But uh, nevertheless, you know, maybe maybe it's an option. But with the current personnel we have right now, again, Piontek and Cutrone, there 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 are differences between the two, I think. Piontek is a little bit more of a polished striker in terms of what he can provide in, in the buildup, playing back to goal. Um, I think he's a little bit more uh, uh, confident and, and, and a little bit more uh, uh, stronger with with his feet. Uh, whereas uh, with Cutrone, he still has some things to work on. He's still he's a great finisher. He's he's energetic. He's lively. He has that passion. But uh, you know, to your point, you know, having them two coexist up front, um, it seems as though that the only way that would possibly be able to work is if you had. A great number ten. Um, they tried Paqueta, of course, a couple weeks ago, and uh, he's injured right now. So, I mean, who would you really play? Would you play Chalhanoglu there? Now he is most, for, in my opinion, he is a is a number ten. He has the number ten shirt. He did play that role for Leverkusen, I believe. Uh, maybe Richard, who is our uh, Bundesliga guy, maybe he can correct me on that. But 
Um, yeah, that's something for Gattuso to think about. Uh, I, again, I think what, what you touched on is, is, is bang on with the fact that maybe you would like to see that as something, something off the bench. And Gattuso has done that, where he's gone with a 4-3-3 and then called on Gutierrez with maybe 20, 25 minutes and switched the formations uh, to, to suit the two up front. So um, I guess we'll, we'll have to see what happens. I think the 4-3-3 ultimately is the way forward. I wouldn't make any more drastic changes the rest of the way. The 4-3-3 is what got Milan into the position they are in now, and that being a fourth-place team. Uh, so I would like to see Catuso stick with that, but I definitely wouldn't rule uh, a two-strike uh, setup you know, in the middle of a game to give the opposition a different look. Yeah, and when when they go to that, the, the wide guys need to realize, and this is what aggravated me in the loss at Samp, was uh, when they went to Cuturone and Piantic together up front, Castellejo still was... The problem with playing wide and now cutting inside, which the wide with which the the wingers like to do for Milan, with two strikers up front now, now you're cutting into somebody's space or you're cutting into somebody's run, and now you're easy, now you're a lot easier to defend. And I I tweeted out in that sample loss, I said this is exactly a game where Milan should have a player like uh, Gerard De La Feo. This is where a player like De La Feo is missed, uh, a guy that's willing to run to the end line and cut the ball back to two open tar- to to two available targets. Versus cutting in and getting in the way, and, and all of a sudden the whole thing is easy to defend. So, um, yeah, I, I, I don't like I don't I don't like the idea of Piantic and Cutrone together up front uh, for long periods of time. I like it as a different look, as you as you say. I believe you made a great point too. Just before we move on to the next question, you know, with with having a kind of uh, the difference between the profiles up there. A perfect example is what what uh, Napoli have with Milik, and then at times when they play insignia underneath them. Yep. You have that guy who's quick, and then you have yep. the guy like Milik, who's a tar- more of a target striker, but is good with his feet. And that's, you know, I mean, Ancelotti's almost morphed that Napoli into a 4-4-2 from the, from the 4-3-3 it was under Saudi. So, um, uh, at AC Milan, Michael, FFS, for Frank's sake, uh, when the hell are we going to see Caldara? That's all I want to know. Uh, not this season. In my opinion, not this season unless Milan are desperate. I think Musacchio and Romagnoli have been fine together. And Musacchio had a blunder uh, and went downhill in the Juve game. But other than that, he's been solid. I, I believe that Caldara will play at some point this season. I, I'm not saying it's going to happen um, over the next month. I think he, he could be one of those cases where maybe he gets – a start in the final game or two. I think he is getting to that point where he is uh, going to be ready to step on the pitch. Now, obviously, I think Gattuso sure. is going to ease him in. He's not going to run him out there unless, of course, uh, you know, Musacchio is injured, Zapata is injured, and he's just star for choice. But then again, uh, Ignacio Abate played centrally for Milan for a couple games this season. So um, who knows? Maybe Abate is more ahead of uh, Caldara at this point because obviously Caldara is still making his way back from that uh, that unfortunate injury he had in the season. Uh, I, Long term, I, I would love to see Romagnoli Caldara because I think that's the that's a, a great tandem yeah. and a tandem that we can definitely see um, at the national team level, uh, hopefully sooner rather than later. Agreed. Agreed 100% with that. Um, and then finally, at uh, Chopez6, Carlos Slim uh, asks, will Gattuso, will Gattuso make it beyond this season? And if not, what are some reasons why, other than failing to make the Champions League? Um, I'm a big Gattuso fan. I'm a kind of a Gattuso apologist. Uh, I would like to see him make it beyond this season. I don't think he's going to. Um, and ask me tomorrow and I'll change my mind and say, yeah, he's going to be back next season. Um, if it's failing to make it other than champions league, it's just because it's maybe the business of the game takes over. And, um, you know, the, uh, uh, Elliot group and Leonardo and Maldini, 
uh, and Gazidis all decide, you know, if we're going to take the next leap forward, this is as far as Reno can take this Milan. We need another we need another manager to come in and take over. And that would be the scenario other than failing to make the Champions League. They could make the Champions League and still have that heart to heart with them and say, hey, thank you for getting us this far. But we need to go in another direction if we're going to go any further. 100 percent. I agree with you. I think, you know, they're, they, Gattuso has done a great job with this team, uh, you know, all things considered battling the injuries that they had early on in the season. But I think it's clear that he does have uh, quite, a, quite a few holes in his uh, managerial uh, game, if you will, that, you know, when you're looking at some of the managers, some of the options that you can go with in the summer, um, this news is just even coming in now from Nicolo Scherra, one of the, uh, in my opinion, one of the more reliable sources for Italian news. Uh, Conte is asking for a three-year contract with a salary of 10 million euro per, uh, per year net. Um, there look, looks like there could be some competition between uh, uh, Milan and Inter for him. Um, so Conte has been on the radar for Milan for a while. I think, you know, behind closed doors, there probably have been discussions between uh, you know, Leonardo Maldini and Elliot as to who they would want to you know, go long term if they choose to bypass on um, you know, giving Gattuso more another another full season. Uh, Conte is one of the top guys that I would definitely have a, a no problem appointing. Just a simple fact. A simple fact. Again, he does have some similarities with Gattuso in terms of that grinta, that demeanor, that mentality. But um, at the same time, he has that experience of being able to uh, win something. You know, he won the titles with Juve. He did a great job with the Italian national team at the Euro 2016, and they won the Premier League in his first year with Chelsea. So you want a manager again if you're gonna you know have these these high ambitions. If Milan find a way to get top four, even if it's in an ugly fashion. They would chances are that they wouldn't spend a ton of money under Gattuso. I think they would spend the money under Conte, which is something that he didn't get at Juventus, which is why he actually left them. Right, right, and I, I you know, I agree with that. And if if Conte's on board, you're going to that back three, and you're definitely seeing Caldara then, Michael, um, because you'll see you'll see uh, Caldara, uh, Musacchio, Romagnoli back three, because uh, that's just what Conte loves to play. Uh, so. Um, we both agree that uh, we don't think Reno makes it past this season, whether they make the Champions League or not, because uh, you know certainly the ownership group, like we said, going to find a maybe find a reason or might say, hey, we really think we need another manager to take this project further. So, um, you know, so that's going to be. <laughs> I'll tell you what, I that'll be a very interesting. I would love to be a fly on the wall in that room with uh, with how without tight uh, Maldini and Gattuso are and how tight Leonardo is and all those guys because they've known each other and have played together for so long so uh, imagine that so uh, but it is in, in the end I think everybody's got to accept that it is a business so it's going to be an interesting decision that Milan have to make so and with that we're putting a bow on this edition of the Serie A sit down uh, and I want to thank our special guest Matt Santangelo and give him the floor to promote uh, anything and everything that he's up to have at it Matt yeah, once again, Frank, thanks for having me on. I really do appreciate it. I think this is the second appearance, maybe the third. I think the second you told me at the top, it was my second cap with uh, with you yep. guys. So once again, thanks for having me on. And yeah, if you guys uh, are interested in another podcast, uh, make sure you guys give us a, a, a like, a subscription, a follow, whatever whatever it is you need to do to support us on the State of Play pod. We cover Europe's top five leagues and MLS. Uh, we're tackling more of the big headlines, not so much the transfer news, which is always uh, forever evolving. Uh, so any support you guys can give to us there would be greatly appreciated. We're on Spotify. We're on iTunes. We're on Fireside. So there's no excuses for you not to uh, support us. <laughs> I am pulling your uh, podcast up now on 
uh, iTunes. So and I, we've had some great guests. I mean, I, th- that goes a long way too, right? We've had Janusz Michalik from ESPN. He talked about Piontek long before Piontek made the move to Milan. We've had John Legossi, who's a big uh, French football expert for ESPN as well. Uh, we've had uh, uh, Marco Messina from a Time Football TV. So uh, those are just a couple of the guests we've had on. And of course, uh, maybe sometime in the future, we'll arrange something to have one uh, you or Richard on. Yeah, I was going to say, you haven't had me on yet. So you can't, you know, uh, that, that that's a nice list, but you want to get over the top. You want to get over the top. <laughs> yeah, absolutely. <laughs> is this this Big Bash podcast? Is that what this is? State of Play, a Big Bash podcast? Or no, which? that's definitely not. That. that sounds like a, like a, a, like a rager, like party type podcast. <laughs> that's what it is. I'm trying to find out because I, I just searched State of Play. Just help us with what the icon looks like so that we know. Sure. Um, it's, uh, it's 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 green, green and gray. It's state of play. It has oh, like OK. A, you yeah, yeah. Slash across. OK. OK. There it is. All right. I'm subscribed. So thank you. I'm, I'm subscribed. I'm looking forward to listening to the next one then. Definitely. So um, I'm at FTC underscore 21 on Twitter. Uh, Richard is at R underscore K-H-A-R-M-A-N. Uh, we have our own channel on iTunes, SoundCloud, Stitcher. Uh, we're available on Spotify. We're available just about anywhere podcasts can be played. Um, we have our YouTube channel where Richard will uh, unveil the goals of the week, and we didn't go over those this week. We will uh, have a behind-closed-doors meeting, and uh, and, and uh, you'll have to uh, check out our channel to see uh, who we picked. Um, and uh, we have uh, a Twitter page and an Instagram page. Go and give us a follow there. Um, but again, uh, big thanks to uh, Matt Santangelo. Matt, won't be long before you complete your hat trick of appearances here on Serie A Sit Down. It was great stuff. Looking forward to the next one. Thanks a lot, Frank. You got it. You got it. And on behalf of Richard, I'm Frank. Thank you for listening. Be sure you tell your paisans about us. Ciao.